Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. Well, I want to thank you both for coming and joining us on our Women in Safety podcast. I'm very excited. Um, I'm very excited that we're looking at how are we going to take leadership at every level to to the next level, as well as, you know, giving ourselves the the inner okay to take the opportunities that we're given and then really forge ahead to create a path of influence and, and to create change. I think it's something that deeply inside all of us want to do, but at some times we kind of are not really confident or um, have the inside assurance that we can do it. So it's really great to be speaking with both of you who've done this yourselves. So I wanted to just let everybody know who our guests are today. We have Eileen Yunkowski and Major Crystal Brown, and they're both professional members of AIHA. And they're going to be sharing their journey as women in the industrial hygiene area of the sector and how they arrived to where they are today. And the interesting thing about these two women who are joining us today is that Eileen is the founding member of AIHA's recently formed Women in Industrial Hygiene Committee, and that was back in 2018, and Major Brown is the latest chair of the committee. So I wanted to open it up for you both to share a little bit about yourself and why is this your area of passion. So Eileen, if you could kick that off, that'd be great. Sure. Um, So my background is uh, started in industrial hygiene. But through my career um, in consulting and working for private industry and then primarily aerospace, I took on a lot of leadership positions and expanded my role to environmental health and safety, so EHS. And then with that, um, I realized leadership was being developed a lot, but what could I do beyond that? So then now I have left aerospace, but I have two of my own consulting firms. And I realized I can make a difference by employing those leadership skills and looking more toward what can I do and how can I be an influencer as well as be a change agent. So that's a little bit about me. Um, Well, I kind of started the Air Force in a a different role. Uh, And when I came across some industrial hygienists, I was like, hey, that's a job for me. That sounds really interesting, a different thing every day. Um, And that's why I applied, I got accepted. And then through the years, it's always been what falls into my lap. I do well. And then another opportunity presents itself. And that and that's what brought us up to the women in industrial hygiene is that we had meetings. The first meeting in 2018, it was like, hey, anybody interested? And there was an overwhelming interest. Um, and Eileen and I and a couple others were the only ones that stepped forward and said, well, Let's give it a go. Let's let's see how it goes. And it we're we're doing well. Yeah, and I love to hear stories about this. It's really empowering for others women who are out here wondering what can we also contribute when we see other women doing such phenomenal things. Now, I'm going to be upfront with you. There's going to be some um listeners who don't know what um 
industrial hygiene is. So if you could just kind of give us a bit, a quick soundbite to bring everybody on board and the same understanding. So uh, industrial hygiene, the way I explain it to my parents who still don't understand what I do, um, I don't clean teeth, but what we do is we really look at the occupational exposures and how to prevent those. So while you're in your workplace, whether it's dust and dirt and noise, um, anything that's an exterior contributor, how does that impact you and how do we uh, reduce that risk? So are there things we can put in place? Uh, now PPE is a big topic, you know, personal protective equipment. That's the last thing you wanna do. Really you wanna take away the danger, take away the toxic material or take away the hazard or change the workspace. So we really are looking after the worker and how do we make that job safer? Yeah, and we, you know, it's interesting because you're talking about, again, looking at that um, higher end of the um, triangle that we work from and making sure that we're eliminating and mitigating the risks before we use a supplement like a PPE in order to put a protection bubble around the worker. And, and it kind of makes me think about even, um, you know, when we're looking at leadership and in companies, often we, we, when we think of leadership, especially here in our Western culture, we think of it as the, those with those titles, the executive titles, and that um, they, they kind of descend down these ideologies and, and protocols that the worker should then just follow. And if the worker follows them, everything's going to be a-okay. And that doesn't, that doesn't really work in the real world. You know, um, we're all kind of responsible for our own inner selves and how we can control our involvement in the environment around us. And I remember when we were having a conversation in our pre-planning, we actually talked about the need to grow our thinking and, and have a, a better understanding of that we need to move away from the thinking of leadership as part of a corporate title. Do you remember when we were talking about that? Oh, definitely. And I think um, I'll start in and then Crystal can certainly look at it from a military perspective. It's slightly to a different level and certainly different, but the same. So um, yeah, I think with leadership, it is typically that when you're a manager or senior level, uh, or I was an executive at aerospace, that they say, oh, you can be a leader only if you're at those levels. And what I found over my experience is that actually you can be a leader at any level, whether you're on the team, you're on the floor, you're in a project group, um, you can really utilize those skills no matter what they are and not limit it to, well, only the executives know, because trust me, they don't know. They're really looking for more input or more involvement. And then maybe you just take an aspect of it and say, hey, I could lead this small project team in my group or my office or my site, and then just get some skills that really show that you can lead, you can make decisions, you can move actively toward a goal. And then leadership, people will start to follow if you actually have a goal set as well as a path. They just want someone to tell me, where do I go and am I following my heart or my core values? So I would say leadership in the um, management team is really shouldn't be job title specific. It can, so don't let it work against you and really say, you know what, I know I'm not there, but I need to be at that table. I need to be with the executives or at that council meeting 
And even if I'm starting by taking notes or I'm coming in as a project team lead or member, start to show your voice, start to speak up about what you think, not a lot, just a little bit. And then you'll start to get some uh, credibility, I would say from the industrial hygiene or EHS perspective. So Crystal, I'll turn it to you. Well, and, and I also wanted to um, add in the, here the thinking that, um, you know, this is really a, a stigma. It's a, a social ideology that has been thrown into our society. And I like to call it like a constructed hierarchy. And I think that is part of what has um, oppressed and kept a lot of people of diversity down out of those more higher roles is because we haven't um, seen ourselves in those roles. And so it's hard to imagine ourselves in those roles. And so, Crystal, you're you're in a military background. And so for you, being a female in the military, I'm pretty confident that you yourself had some of those internal struggles, but you reached up to being a major now, right? Yes, ma'am. And, and part of that is, as a leader, I'm not your traditional um, hierarchical leader. That doesn't, doesn't work with today's um, individuals. Um, I'm more of a, a team lead. In fact, when I, I address emails to my team, I'm not, hey, you airmen, I'm, hey, team, I have something, I need input. And I'll ask for input from all levels. And that seems to work very, very well. It's because everybody is a leader in their own area. The airmen that go out and do um, the, the day-to-day tasks know far more than I do at my position right now. And it behooves the team to bring in their experience, especially when I'm making um, requirements or policy documents and that kind of stuff. I need their expertise. And it doesn't matter if they've only been in the Air Force for two, three years. They do it every day and therefore have their own leader inside of them. So is it fair then to say that um, an individual true leaders, I, I like servitude leadership myself, is somebody who is able to build upon the, the resources of the team and that's what makes everything stronger, no matter what role or position they hold in a company? I would say that, yes, um, as well as understanding how you can reach out. So because we're in sort of this very specific scientific area, industrial hygiene, we tend to want to stay in that lane. And really, if you look at our skills and our background, our educations, they're quite broad and they're comparable to pretty much anybody who runs operations or a site activity. So you can say, listen, I'm going to stay and cover, I mean, I'm the expert in EHS or IH, but I should be talking with operations or manufacturing, or I should be on those teams. I should be doing leadership in that area. And you're representing not only this technical team, but yourself if you're diverse, um, female or not. I mean, I had some interesting struggles. I just looked at them as challenges. And I know we're going to talk about that a little later, but really are there things that you can do beyond just, well, I'm going to stay in this lane now. It's like, no, 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 no. Really, who else can you look to? Who else is out there? Um, and what other influences can you make as a leader? And you start to get the respect that to me is the key to success. Um, respect yourself, respect others more. And then 
uh, you really will get to the next level or at least have an influence spot. So that's how I would look at it. No, I, yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And, and break out of that stigma thinking that you have to have a title to be a true leader that, you know, Crystal, when we were talking and I thought we would bring this into the conversation, um, you shared the idea of finding your voice that matches your receiver listener. Do you remember when we were chatting about that? Yes, ma'am. And it's, um, go ahead. No, I just would love it if you could share that because it was so beautiful. Um, as from a leadership perspective, I don't think enough of us actually do that. And for me, that is really a very important critical communication skill to have in your tool belt if if you do want to be a true leader. Yes, ma'am. Um, so finding your voice is, is simply not only speaking up, but when you do speak up, Speak to who you're talking to. Know who you're talking to. I have critical conversations with pilots, mechanics, doctors. Each of them has a different set of experiences. They are their own experts, leaders in their own field. And when I talk to a doctor versus a pilot versus a mechanic, I'm going to talk to them slightly different because I'm going to use experiences that they're familiar with so then they can get more out of our conversation. And Eileen, did you have anything that you wanted to build on that idea? I uh, certainly concur with what Crystal's saying. It's really how can you relate and what messages are you trying to get through? Because your audience does make a difference. If you come in with a lot of facts and data and charts and graphs, it's like, oh, my goodness, people just glazed. They're just glazed over. They're not really listening. They've lost you. And... God forbid you do a presentation and the numbers are wrong. There's people in the audience picking apart every single detail. So it's best to just be concise, not come in with a lot, but really I, I call it a um, STP approach. It's situation target proposal. So you're saying, here's where I'm at. This is where I'm trying to go. And this is what I need. Because if you're clear and you can do that very quickly, people go, oh, okay. So you're asking for something or you need help or whatever, but you've got to really look at that audience and who that voice is that's coming from you because they'll, you'll lose it. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, that person's way off on the left-hand side. So, you know, that voice is important to be relatable. Now, I just, you know, it's occurring to me also when we're talking here that the voice is important but I think, Crystal, what, I, what I've noticed from you, because you're not a big talker, you're a heavy listener, <laughs> is, is that, is there something to leadership about li- listening more than you talk? I know that's not on our talking points, but it just kind of, I wanted to throw that out there because people talk about, you know, presenting and doing all this talking, but what about that other side of the coin? Yep. So I I have learned over the years that um, the person that listens has a better idea of where they're, um, uh, the person that listens has a better idea of where they need to go in a conversation. So for me, I listen because when I'm talking to those different personalities, 
I need to know more about them. I need to know their frame of reference. I need to know, you know, God forbid their mood at the point in time, you know, are they agitated? Are they, they, um, exhausted? You know, how do I need to approach those critical conversations? So, you know, they don't just dismiss me as a, an engineer or, um, a brainiac that has no idea of like the ramifications in the real world. Um, and that's, that's where I go with my conversation. That's why I listen first to understand how, how sh- would be the best way to approach this individual. So you're using those moments when you're observing to kind of see how do I have to match up here? Mm-hmm. Am I getting you right? Yes, ma'am. Because if I come into a conversation with an individual who's already agitated, whether it be their home life or their work life, and I'm like, hey, you're going to do this. The first thing they're going to do is put on the brakes. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Um, whereas if I show a little bit of empathy and say, hey, this is, this is where we're headed. What do you think? Then they have free license to probably give me more information. Sometimes it's information that I don't need for that particular conversation. But it never hurts to just listen to somebody. And Eileen, what do you have, what's going on in your head right now when you're thinking about this area of leadership and listening? I'm 100% there that there's a lot being said in the room besides what's being talked. So body language, if someone really is supporting whatever's being talked about. Um, So be aware of your surroundings as well as the people, because there may be other messages going on, you know, that people are like, oh, my goodness, I've heard this or they're not they're you know, especially in today, you know, they're going on different meetings or they're on their cell phone or um, really, are they really paying attention? Are they understanding what you just said? So some of that, you know, talk back to me, what did I tell you and and do it concisely so you're not rambling on about it, but you're trying to get that message through loud and clear. So, And I know for myself, you know, I'm thinking back in certain situations, if I hadn't pulled back and taken that moment of silence, just to kind of assess and observe, you could have rushed in, misunderstanding a whole situation and actually escalating it. And so I, I think that's also part of a, the important toolkit is knowing that just that in itself is a skill set. One of the things that we had been talking about before, times that we have noticed um, where we had to kind of lean in. And so I wanted to, to kind of step back and ask your life experiences, where did you have to kind of lean in and do things differently where other people might have been stepping back? I think one that we talked about, and I, I, to me, it's related to what you're asking. Um, this whole when we did the women in IH, that initiative or thought um, was really kind of being talked about within the association for years. People would say we ought to do something different, and a lot of naysayers like, "Why do you need a separate group? Why does it have to be women?" We're saying it's not about women; it's women in IH who need help with leadership. So. We were trying to really identify what it was we wanted and what we were. And really, Chris and I and two others, we stepped forward. When they said, hey, are there any people that really want to take the next level? There's probably 250 people in the room at that point. 
seems like a lot of energy. We went and stepped forward. I said, everybody else stepped back or did, I don't know what they did, but we, we looked at each other like, this is it. So we quickly thought we'd have a phone call, we'd talk, and we're thinking there's going to be, you know, 100 people on the phone. It was really clearly the four of us. Actually, there's a fifth who dropped out, but there were four of us who said, let's make this happen. There's a reason that we can move forward. And we read the room, we saw the energy, the support was incredible from all different walks, from all, you know, men, women, diversity, that this is the time. And we are professionals and we need to do something. And so we just sort of methodically had a goal, very, very clear, concise idea what to do, do a few things well and move forward. So we became kind of a small group, the working group, a committee. Now we have a full day summit. So things sort of escalated for a place for people to land and talk. But um, that was one that we really did lean in because people were pretty not as accepting in the beginning. And it was like, well, that was 10, 20 years ago. So today's today. And what can we do and how can we work together? So that's what I would say is the most recent one that had a big impact on where we are with women in IH. I, I would agree with Eileen. Um, you know, uh, we've, we've worked really hard to get that to where it is. Um, and it, it, it seems like every year the, the membership doubles and, and we start to get into even more in-depth items you know if we have a in-depth or a in-person conference this year we're looking at pairing with three or four volunteer organizations within AIHA and with um, ASSP which is safety professionals and we're gonna we're gonna do an event um, at the expo with them so, gosh, going from just the four of us to, to having so many active members, so much um, influence on the events at a, a national conference is, is very exciting, humbling sometimes too. <laughs> Plus, this is a place to go now. So if, if another group or someone has a question, I'll think, well, let's let's bring it to women in IH. Maybe they can be the bridge between the minority um, special interest group and the social concerns group. So even mm -hmm. on the whole COVID-19, we've really been integral in all of this and they know they can come in and talk to us and we'll find leadership or we'll find people to help. Um, so we're, we're sort of this, and we have a lot of attention <laughs> because the board of directors is very excited about everything. We haven't seen the resistance, maybe because we had a plan. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. we're, we knew what we were doing and we branded ourselves, which was never done before. We had a brand for women in IH. We have our own logo and people could start con to connect to that. And it was really all about women. Oh yeah, we did mouse pads. So there's a lot of things we did that <laughs> pins. So, I mean, it's just, it's different. And that had never been done and everything we did had never been done before. So we're like, well, let's just do this. Let's make it about leadership which really wasn't the direction of the association. It was primarily technical, but the desire of membership or in our area has been, we want more about leadership, no matter what level. We wanna understand how to get into management or how to get out of management. So we've done several education sessions around that um, and we've seen really positive results. And this year's topic of our summit is managing change. How timely was is that? And uh, so very uh, different. We might, maybe we have that crystal ball we didn't know about. 
It's no, it's very timely. And, you know, I was thinking about our, our, our conversation that we had before, and it's just phenomenal that you're now seeing something that, as you said, started with four people and has blossomed and grown. So it's thousands of people. And what I wanted to kind of um, talk about also was the internal process of leading change and having to forge forward. I think, Eileen, you termed it as being a change agent. I wanted to focus a bit on um, managing the various internal emotional elements. And, um, you know, it, when you do kind of forge ahead, um, we, we do face a lot of adversity at times, and that can be very um, scary and off-putting. So if you guys could share, like, how do you get through those, um, those periods uh, when you, you know, you want to throw in the towel, but yet you still kick it up and continue on? Uh, I think you realize who your circle is, who's your, who are your allies? I use that a lot um, so that you can really identify who can you go to when you're just having a crazy day and not everyone understands it. You're not, you're not complaining. You're just saying, Hey, I got to get through this. I need a few words of encouragement. Maybe I need to just shut everything down and walk away and come back tomorrow. But are there people that you can go to that you have in this team or your board of directors, they call it. And they also is the influencing piece. You are going to get resistance. You are going to have people that are saying, I don't want to do, I know, you know, it's not broken. Why are we trying to fix it? Um, so being that agent of change is really seeing an opportunity, surrounding yourself with your allies and also who, who else can help you lead it in your company or your organization. And then moving forward, realizing you are going to have some bad days, but you know, if you're clear about where you're trying to take it and don't try to do too much. When I was looking at some of my notes, it's the baby steps, you know, don't feel like I'm going to be here today. And by tomorrow, I want a whole new organization. I want to be, you know, at the top of the heap, or I really want to change the culture of the site. You can't, but if you start with the team members or just everyday working people to ask, you know, well, how do you do it? What do you want to see? Not that I have the answers, but how can we make this happen? How can we move forward? You really will start to see people that say, no one's ever asked me before, but they have great ideas. And then what are, you know, can you take that and bring it? Because a lot of, I do a lot of uh, change of culture through uh, aerospace. And that's the biggest thing. The voices aren't being heard at any level, especially, well, not any, but, you know, not management. And they realize they didn't think they had a voice. So find those people and you'll see, but you have to have some positive things you're going to do, not sit around and complain about it. So that's how I would do it and be an agent of change. Crystal, I wanted to kind of connect with you and see what your thoughts are, like what propels you internally to keep moving forward, especially, you know, with your background in military, that must've been really hard at times also. Yeah, it's um, it's difficult. Earlier this year, I was I was tasked for a deployment, so six months. I have a, a special needs child, and and another child, and it, it was extremely rough. Um, I got put on like a seventy-two hour standby, so I haven't had to leave. But um, just that moment of oh my gosh, I have to leave my children. <laughs> Heartbreaking, right? And that's okay. 
which should be heartbreaking if you're leaving your family and your children for six months. Um, but again, I had people here at my office. I had my husband. I had my mother who was willing to quit her job and come down here and like stay with my husband and kids for that six months. Um, you know, everybody at work kind of came around me and said, hey, what can we do to help? And that was when I realized that I hadn't intended on building this network. It hadn't been intentional at that point, but um, it was just that day-to-day -day interaction with all these different people that made them say, oh, hey, she needs help now. We're going to be the guys to help her. And it was, you never know when you're going to need that. And it was, it was humbling again. To, to see all those people step up and say, what do you need from us? We can help. We can help you with, um, you know, something silly like a packing list or, hey, what programs are you managing? Can we take those so that you can focus on being with your family? And it's like, wow, I didn't realize that I had that effect on everybody around me. Um, you know, on an average day, I just hope that I'm doing good. I want to protect my airmen on my installation. That's what I, I tell my team here is that we are here to protect our airmen. We are here to make sure that they can go off um, and do the mission and come back to their families. That's our job. And uh, I'd, I'd say we're pretty good at it here. <laughs> we're, we're doing good. And I'm, I'm really proud of my team. If I can add in really quick, I think it was interesting because we were on a Women in IH call and doing some planning that seemed awfully important. I don't know, the summit couldn't be in person, could we go virtual and different things we were trying to grapple with. And um, Crystal said, well, okay, I may not be here because I might get deployed. And I'm like, wait a minute. And she shared that, but it had an impact on me because we were so caught up in what we were doing and what quote looked important. And I'm thinking, how in the world, you know, we're trying to do this thing, but really you've got life going on and people have real things that are happening. And so when, even she may not know this, but when she shared that, I thought, wow, we really need to reprioritize, but also listen to that side of what's happening behind now the screens of Zoom and, you know, what's, what's happening in their life that may impact the fact that, hey, I need some help. And I think that's maybe as a woman thing that, um, Asking for help is probably more of in our nature and it's not a weakness. It just means I recognize my limits and I need to get some help or I need my team or I need my network or I need my allies. So it's a difference, but I think if we utilize that correctly, we can really be strong leaders in the end. So. And I'm glad you didn't get deployed yet, Crystal. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like um, one of the things that I have learned is by creating that strong supportive bond it and positive energy, people who have an, an attitude that anything is possible and to work collaboratively, like your mom coming and helping, you know, you said that she was going to quit her job. That's changing her life in order to provide support as well. And and so that for me, when I started to click into that and understand that it's okay, you don't know, it's not about just always being the one giving support. It's also about reciprocity of receiving the support, the support, 
And that, that in turn kind of builds everybody up because you've got that network that people can give when they need to, but also feel that they can take when they need to. So you've got that equal giving and taking. And I, what I wanted to ask from, from the two of you is if um, it, you could maybe share some recommendations that you have learned along the way about building out your own inner self-confidence and helping to keep yourself moving forward and aligning with your alliances. So what are your, your recommendations for our listeners on that? Um, for me, <laughs> I distinctly remember when I knew I was moving in a different direction. Primarily, I kind of went into management. But in industrial hygiene, you have a lot of things that hit you. You're not sure. You've got facts and data, but you've got to make decisions. You've got to move forward. And I think decisiveness is a big piece of that to say, I can make a decision. But in the beginning, I was like, I'm not sure. You know, I've got some stuff, but I got to look out. I got to ask people. I would have a gut reaction to what I felt was the right way to move. And then um, I thought, every time I ask for input, I haven't changed where I was. My inner gut told me you know, I knew the right direction. I just had this lack of confidence that maybe I don't know, maybe there's some secret thing. So I was like, if I'm pretty much accurate, 80-20 rule is my insightful piece, go with it. So what's the worst that can happen? You have to change slightly on a direction, or maybe you made a decision based on what you knew today and something changed next week. But that 80-20 rule has really helped me to make decisions, to let people know, yep, this is where we need to go and why. And But listening in case you have to change slightly. But it's never been that I went left and everybody else went right and you know, or should have gone right. It was just a sw- slight tweak in that path. And then you could move forward. So for me, that was a big piece where um, I felt confident, which mean I think that other people could see it or feel it. And um, it, that really changed my trajectory personally. And then just knowing I had the credibility, I'm building credibility. So people know, Hey, we can come to Eileen. She's going to give us the facts. We may not like the decision. We may not like it, but she's credible and know your stuff. You don't have to be the technical expert, find your team members, find someone who knows all about wastewater treatment and, you know, safety hazards with cranes, but say, Hey, I don't know, but I've got someone and we're going to make this work and then just move forward with it. So those are probably, you know, find those experts. You can't know everything. You shouldn't know everything. But do you know how to use your network and move forward? So those are probably my two skills of getting that inner confidence, which then became outer confidence. And Crystal, what are your recommendations for our audience? So as Eileen said, Definitely um, be confident. I, I would also say be able to look for the answer. You don't have to have it all the time, but be able to find it. Um, and then my big thing is don't be afraid to fail. It's painful. It hurts. Um, but it means you made a decision and you're learning from it. So I, I hate being wrong. I hate failing. I think Everybody does, right? That's your ego talking, but it's part of growth. It's part of that growth mindset. So you made a choice. It didn't happen right. Talk about it. 
um, get, get counseling, get mentoring and, and move forward from it. Forgive yourself for those mistakes too. Cause I, I don't know about everybody else out there, but when I make a mistake, man, it is, it feels like the end of the world to me. Cause I should be better. I should know better. I'm, you know, this many years old, I am a professional in my field. Yeah. Well, um, I'm still human and I need to forgive myself for that sometimes. And it, it's, it's a constant everyday thing. Um, but yeah, make those decisions. If they're wrong, change direction when you need to talk to your mentors, but then also forgive yourself for making wrong decisions. Be prepared. It's not what you know, it's what you don't know, but what can you do to contribute? And it may be slow coming in the beginning, but then you just sort of get your rhythm and move forward with it. But uh, yeah, the women of age thing was sort of, whoa, what have we done? And now it's like, wow, look what we've done. So it's uh, pretty rewarding in that sense that you know you did it and you move forward in the right direction. So Crystal, what was your feeling when you guys were starting up the women in IH thing? Honestly, I work in a uh, male-dominated field as most of most female IHs do, and I was like, you know, let's see how it goes. Um, I had never been on a volunteer committee in a civilian organization before. I had never um, been on a, a female team of any type before. I don't, I've more commonly been the only female in the room, and it, it was it was very different. Um, I had to learn uh, civilian speak for a lot of things, which is rough. Um, you know, the jokes about military speaking and acronyms and ABC letter, it's all true. Um, <laughs> um, but it was, it was different. And honestly, I have learned so much from working there. Um, there was a lot of effort that if I had known ahead of time, it might've scared me off and like, oh man, how am I going to do all this volunteer work in my day-to-day job and be a mom? But I'm glad I took that step. I'm glad I leaned into it and I got that experience um, because now I have an experience that's completely unique in my peers. Um, and I can talk about stuff. I can help people. Um, I can build the people that come after me. The people that are going to take my job in a couple of years. I, I can mentor them in both the, the civilian way and the, the military way with my, my bit of experience that I've gained. The one thing that keeps coming up in our conversation today, and I know that it's not on our talking points, but I do feel that it's really important, is succession planning. Mm-hmm. And I think part of, of being a leader is also realizing that you will grow, you will want to go on and do other things. And it's not a threat to have somebody else kind of fill your shoes at that, that period of time that it's your time to, as you said, go and take on different challenges, right? So w- what are your guiding words for the listeners? This will be pretty much our last thoughts because we are coming to the end. What are your guiding words about succession planning? It's critical. Um, I call it feeding the pipeline. So when I look at being an influencer, agent of change, a lot of pieces are, you know, how do we change a a group or a company so they bring in more diversity, they bring other thoughts, they bring in male, female, so that you can really get a good understanding where you wanna go. So 
succession planning me, it, if you don't have it, you're missing the boat because you'll have the same, same coming in, doing the same thing. So feeding that pipeline is really looking back, even now with the, you know, the science and technology, the STEM activities, uh, people in high school and even grade school, what can we do or in colleges to say, hey, this is really in our case, this is an interesting field and you should consider all these opportunities within industrial hygiene or EHS and then get them to join companies, get them involved on teams and reach out. You know, if you look out or see things or even on committees, you know, depending on what aspect you're looking at, but how can you set that stage? We're very fortunate in Women in IH, we've had, most people can't get a volunteer to say, I'll be an officer. We get people lined up to do it. It's crazy. I mean, they want to do that. So if you start to say, I'm going to have an acting this to learn from the next person and you're sitting in the meetings, you don't miss a beat. And then feeding that pipeline where can you, where do you want that? And where can you find people? People say, oh, there's not people available. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, there's no women available to take these jobs. Of course there are. You just haven't put them in a leadership in your mind. You're looking, oh, they're technical. It's like, no, no, they have these other skills. So go out and feed it and then move to succession planning and then be an influencer. That's where the influence comes in. I can change the way we're going. If you have people in the pipeline who think long change lines. So to me, you have to have it. So along those lines, I don't really have control over who shows up in my pipeline. Um, they, they graduate basic training, their test scores determine where they get assigned. Um, if they're an engine mechanic or if they're a corrosion control technician or whether they come into industrial hygiene with me. But when my people do arrive here, um, we have that unique position of growing them in the way we want them to be. So they come in, a lot of them are 18, 19 years old. Uh, this is their first time away from uh, their home situation. And it, we really get that opportunity to help them out. Like, um, I like to say that my, my shop is my family. So I train my shop and I, I train them and I, I keep a family environment with very rare occasions where we, you know, mama bear has to, to lay down the law sometimes, not often. I, I have really great troops, but um, we, we try to foster that family environment so that everybody's learning at the pace that they can learn. And with the hope that they'll take that information further and, you know, replace me one day. Um, I have a lieutenant now. He's very young. And um, this is his first time out of Louisiana. So welcome to Kansas. Um, and I, I'm, I'm teaching him along the, the lines. And, you know, sometimes if he, he needs a little help at home in his new apartment, that's fine. I'm here to help. Um, but that's someday he will grow um, and he'll become a major as well. And he'll take my job whether it's here in Kansas or in Texas or, or wherever, um, we tend to move every two years. So I want him to be prepared for that. And I want him to be able to do the best that he can. And, you know, the interesting thing that I, that I, while I'm listening to what you're sharing is, is that by, by nurturing the individual throughout like you are, you're also steady, setting this foundation of, of what 
uh, leadership should be doing. That yes, you know, you're nurturing, you're helping to grow, you're helping to develop skills, but at the same time, when things do kind of go off track, you're there to put them back on track. But you, that doesn't mean that you need to always have that heavy hand of authority in order to create that understanding of guiding people to where they, they need to be um, guided to. Crystal, did you have another thought? I was just saying that that's very much the truth is that when people come in, a lot of people join the military because they don't know what else to do. Um, and that's, that's also what I help with is that, hey, do you want this for life? Or do you want to go on and be a, um, a fire fighter? Or would you like to switch over and be um, police? I, and that's perfectly fine. Um, as long as you have that environment where they can express those interests, explore them as much as the job allows, then why not? It, you know, I want my airmen to be happy. Sometimes we have to work weekends and they're not terribly thrilled about that. But I, overall, I would prefer that they're happy because they're more productive. Eileen, did you have a thought? You look like you have, you're thinking about something. Yeah, I was just saying when you're, when you're looking at that succession planning, it's not you're picking someone out and going here, just good luck with this. You really are becoming their sort of advocate or their guidance mentor, if you will. But um, you know, what can they get from you or how can you help them along the way? So you know, I've been in some situations where a leader above me made it difficult, you know, I've been through this, you're going through it. I'm like, oh my God, I hope I never do that. But you really want to realize that if I can help you, it's just going to help me. You know, if, if you can find someone to take your place or move up along the pipeline, that's a sign of success to me because you've done your job. Some people feel threatened. And I'm thinking, threatened by what? The fact that you've been successful, you've helped others. Um, they'll always remember it. And if they can pick up some traits that they hadn't even thought of or hadn't been exposed to, and they can move it with their team, more the better. So really it's that, how can you help um, along that way? So the pipeline is being fed with people who get it or want to move in a new direction. So that's why when she said that, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's care and feeding <laughs> of your successors or the pipeline. Well, and it kind of, it, it draws me back to, to the beginning where I was saying that we have an artificial thing mm -hmm. like, the hierarchy is just artificially um, cultivated. And, right. and when I'm listening to what Crystal is saying here, that kind of reminds me more of more of a tribal type of society. Right. More of a learning experience, not a failure. You know, it's all over. It's like, no, it's really not over. It's just, can you learn? What can you learn from this? You may not, you may think nothing, but you're like, just step back, take a few days you may learn that. And I think also the, you know, but you, you know, if you want to move into more of a leadership influencing job, you do have to make some tough decisions. So, you know, whether you're closing a site or you're having to do some things that maybe not be the popular vote, uh, you still will have to make those decisively, but moving forward. So it's not going to be all, Hey, everything's great. We're going to move together. It's like, you got to step up and make those critical thinking decisions and uh, maybe help it help people along the way, but not be afraid of it. 
Thank you very much, both of you, for taking the time to join me on the Women in Safety podcast. You know, it's been a phenomenal conversation. And I think that we touched a lot of great different areas, you know, about um, what does leadership mean and to break that stigma that it's not just associated to a corporate title. I think our society really needs to move away from that because we've done a disservice to a lot of people and, and kept a lot of people down um, because of that. But it was beautiful to learn from both of you about, you know, as people who do lean in and create change, like you have with the, the phenomenal committee that you've done. And that's going to be there for decades. That's, that's going to grow and keep going. That's like your legacy to the organization. It's really phenomenal. Well, thank you so much. Um, I will be posting this up on safopedia.com so that people can also listen to the recording after it's done. So thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, ma'am. Have a good day. (laughs) Have a good day. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the Women in Safety podcast. Thank you for clicking the subscribe button and sharing it with others. Make sure to visit us at safetywithpurpose.com for more safety leadership and industry discussions. 